This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On this episode, I talk to Victoria Scott, whose latest book, We Told Six Lies, is out now from Entangled Teen. Victoria talks with me about how she decided to kind of dedicate her life to writing and the influences she's had along the way. So listen in. So, Victoria, what book hooked you? So one of my favorite books um, is This Is Not a Test by Courtney Summers. It's one of my favorite reads of all time. Um, and she's just kind of a superstar. Yeah, everything she writes is golden. What about this book uh, in particular really kind of stands out for you? Um, I'll just start with the zombies. Um, so it's, it's a zombie book. Um, but I always tell people I do all these like school visits and stuff and everybody, you know, inevitably asks me what's my favorite book. Um, and I always come up with this one and they want to know, of course, what it's about. And I always say, you know, zombies, but hear me out. Cause you know, zombies isn't for everyone. Sure. Um, I loved, I loved her writing style and I love that she took something that could be, um, gloriously cheesy like zombies and made it so tense and so believable and it's one of the most tense books I've ever read outside of Bird Box by Josh Mallerman which of course everybody is now watching on sure. Netflix um, if you love Bird Box you have to go read This Is Not a Test by Courtney Summers um, she also did really well she takes all these characters, they're like, they're like teenage characters, and of course, uh, a lot of them not knowing what to do after their like, parents are, you know, like, eaten, um, they basically run to a local high school, um, and they lock themselves in there, and it almost becomes less about the zombies outside, which really, you know, they never really say zombies, it's just people that have, like, had this disease and are, like, attacking each other, um, but you know they're zombies, um, and it becomes more about the dynamic of these I think it's probably like seven teenagers inside this like school gymnasium and they start, you know, like having fights and they start having sex and they start having just all of these just crazy, like interrelationship dynamics start happening and you are obsessed with it. It almost has like this Lord of the Flies feel to it inside this like school gymnasium and I don't know. I was obsessed. It's, it's also the writing style. I could go on and on about this book. She writes, these like short, punchy, powerful sentences. And after I got done reading um, that book, I, I feel like my entire manuscript, like the way I was writing, even my sentence structure changed to like, I had all these like low, long, flowy, lyrical sentences with tons of commas to like every single sentence was like four to five, like choppy words and then period, five words, period, five words, period. Like, cause that's how, like how she writes and it's, it's phenomenal. And so, is that kind of uh, and a good example of the type of books that you really sort of gravitate to, whether it's genre or just kind of style? Yeah, yeah. I, I really love um, like thrillers, psychological thrillers. Of course, you know, We Told Six Lies, the book um, that I have coming, is um, a psychological thriller. And it's it's really my first it's really my first, well, no, I guess it's my second because Violet Grenade was a psychological thriller. Um, but I think that's why I was writing a lot of like fantasy. I wrote some paranormal romance. Um, I wrote some kind of like thriller slash fantasy. It was just kind of playing around a lot. But everything, a lot of the stuff I love to read is like 
gone girl and, you know, that kind of um, genre. So it is, it is, it's very much in line with what I like to read. Um, but I love that it was kind of like a thriller um, with almost like with not almost, but with a paranormal twist on it. Yeah, it's definitely what I like to read. I like to read all over the place, but that's, that's generally what I come back to because I love like a fast paced reads. I just, I want to be entertained. I want that feeling of, um, not being able to put the book down, you know, and she nails that. And so kind of going back for a bit, what type of reader uh, were you like growing up? Oh gosh, I was such a dark and broody reader. Um, I feel like I was a really outgoing with like friends and at school and stuff. But when I read books, it was definitely like late at night with like an R.L. Stein, Christopher Pike, which, um, is like, you know, today's, I'm trying to think, kind of like today's Kendar Blake um, of that world. Just really dark teenagers, like turning into monsters and eating other teenagers um, type stuff. So really, I have like a really like light and airy um, soul. No, just kidding. I do not. And what kind <laughs> of uh, got you in the mindset of wanting to become a writer? So I was working at an advertising agency and during what I guess now historically is called the great recession, um, myself, my boss, my boss's boss, and like probably 15 to 20% of our entire, um, we worked in radio advertising. Um, we all got laid off. Um, and, but they gave us like this crazy severance package, which if you're unfamiliar with that just means that they keep paying you even though you don't work there anymore, which is just amazing. So my husband, we were sitting down eating like cheese enchiladas and he's like, all right, so you're going to get paid for sitting around for nine months unless you go work for a competitor. And if I went to go work for a competitor, then I stopped getting severance. So it's just this weird place where it's like, do you want to go work again to make the same amount of money? Or do you want to like do something else for nine months? Then you can go back to your field. Um, so I ended up, I was eating cheese enchiladas and he was like, what would you want to do if you could do anything that's not advertising? And I was like, I don't know. I honestly, I just want to sit around and read all day for a while. I just want for one week, you know, to just sit and read. And I was like, that's been my longest love. I can't think of anything else that I've loved as long and as dearly as just reading books. And there would be times, you know, when you're in college, it's really tough to read because you're reading so much like, you know, um, you know, learning material and stuff, but I, I would always come back to it. And I think that's, that's really where it started is I, I started talking about how much I loved reading. And I thought, I guess maybe I would try writing a book question mark. And, um, my husband was like, yeah, you should give it a shot. You know, as simple as that, as if it's, you know, that easy. Um, and so I did, and I ended up getting a different job at a place that my former employee decided or employer decided was not a competitor. And so every day to work, I carpooled my husband and he, I would write on the way there. And then I would write during lunch and then I would read him my chapters on the way back. And when I got done with my first manuscript, he looked at me and said, did you love it? And I was like, I loved it. I loved it. This is all I want to do. Um, and he was like, are you going to write another one? And I was like, yes, I'm going to write so many more of these. Um, and he was like, you should go put in your two week notice. And so I did, I thought about it for a while and I put in my notice and I started writing full time. I think I got my agent, um, pretty quickly within maybe a few weeks after leaving my job, I had been submitting, um, query letters and getting some really good feedback. And so, and I was already working on another book and I felt 
at least confident enough at, about it at the time. Um, and I was also going back to school to get my master's degree. So it felt like good timing. So yeah, that's kind of what it kicked it off though. Is honestly, it's, it's a boring answer, but it's a love of, it's a love of books, a love of reading. And were there particular books during that time that you kind of remember, uh, that you found and really kind of sparked either just the motivation to write even further or just have really stuck with you from that time? Yes. Um, so there was this book by Kirsten White. It's another young adult um, paranormal. I guess you could call it paranormal romance. Um, I, I hesitate to call it that because it was so much more than that. Um, I was writing my first manuscript I ever wrote was called Vanity. And it was horrendous, as most of our first manuscripts are. Um, and it was so just dark and emo and everything that I thought I wanted to write like. Um, and then I wanted to try a paranormal romance because those were super hot during that time period. They were just starting to really hit after Twilight. Um, but I wanted to write one from the male point of view and I wanted him to be kind of less of a hero. I felt like I was reading so many like, you know, kind of perfect guys, you know, they would make mistakes, but they were still pretty much perfect. And I was like, I want to write like an anti-hero, but you, but an anti-hero you love, but I want it to be a paranormal romance, but from his perspective. And I just could not figure out what I was going to do with the voice. And I ended up picking up Kirsten White's Paranormalcy at Barnes and Noble. And I read the first three pages and I basically ran to the register and like was throwing money at them because it was, it is it was such a departure from all the pararomance that I'd, I'd read where everything's um, very like lyrical. Yeah. Everything's very lyrical. It's beautiful writing. It's so it's very, it takes itself very seriously, which I love books that take themselves seriously, but they all, they all kind of were in that, in that little genre. And I read her first few pages and they were so full of like snark and humor and jokes and I thought oh my god I want to do that and I like ran home with that book and read it in like a day um and then went back to my manuscript and when I opened my laptop back up and started writing the first chapter um I knew I had it I was like this is going to be it this 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 needs to be the book that I submit to agents and I actually got um a couple of nibbles from some agents and the one that I ended up signing with initially she um, she said she read vanity and she was like, I can tell that you can write well, but you know, I don't think I can sell this book, um, to New York, you know, meaning editors at major publishing houses in New York. Um, and she said, do you have anything else, like anything else that could convince me? And I was like, I have a hundred pages of this book called the collector. It's totally different. And she was like, send it to me. And I sent it to her and that's what she signed me on. She was like, this is it. it she could tell the same. I think she saw in my manuscript, the same thing that I saw in Kirsten White's was just, just, it was something different. So yeah, I was definitely inspired by that book. Big time. That's great. And so your latest book, uh, we told six lies, uh, mm -hmm. is out now. Can we start talking about that and tell me, uh, what is this book about? So it's so tough to pitch your own work. Sure. And I always love seeing once reviews start coming out where people are like, it's this plus me, this, you know, and like, this is how they pitch it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good way to pitch it. Um, it's kind of Gone Girl meets um, We Were Liars. Mm -hmm. And it is about a guy named Cobain who falls half fast and hard for this girl named Molly. Um, and they form a very, I will say, volatile, um, almost obsessive relationship with one another. 
Um, Cobain is bullied a lot at school. He is a very, 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 very large kid. His whole world is basically going to school with his head down and weightlifting. That's all he ever does. He doesn't even know why he's doing it. We maybe find out in the end why he's doing it. Um, but that's his whole world until he meets Molly. Molly's kind of the first person in a long time that takes notice of him. Um, Molly is, is beautiful in a very strange, weird, you almost don't even know if she's pretty way. Um, and she is extremely manipulative, even in her, you know, and to her own admission. Um, but she meets Cobain and Cobain falls for her so fast and hard that he basically thinks of himself as um, almost like this rabid dog where he's like, you know, she's basically holding his leash. And if she, any harm were to come to her, like all she would have to do is let go of his leash and he would tear them to pieces. That's just, it's how he feels about her after being so um, unseen for so long. And then Molly disappears. She vanishes um, and we don't know what happened to her. And Cobain is desperately trying to find her. He has a list of suspects. Um, and the police, of course, are looking for Molly, too, because nobody knows what happened to her. Parents don't know what happened to her. Um, and they really, of course, only suspect one person of doing something to her, and that is Cobain. Um, so he's trying to find her, and the police are trying to, you know, lock him down and... Um, I think Cobain is very, very sure of his innocence. And then he starts to become not so sure of his innocence and what he may or may not have done to Molly. So that's kind of the pitch for it. So um, a lot of lies in this book, a lot of twists and turns till the very end. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's my, it is without a doubt the most difficult book I have ever written tenfold. I mean, my editor and I went through so many rounds of revisions on this book. Even when we thought, I mean, every single time we thought we were done, we would get another reader and be like, oh my gosh, we got to tweak this one thing. It was so bad that when it was actually going to print, like they were sending it to the printer and then the publisher reread the opening chapter one more time and was like, oh my gosh, I feel like we need to cut these three sentences and rewrite this. And I was literally rewriting the opening page like seconds before they had to send it to the, to the printer to start getting printed. And so it can like land at the bookstores at times. It was, it was crazy. I mean, it was just crazy, but um, it's out there now. So <laughs> we'll see. Finger, can you put your finger on why, you know, what, uh, what it took to kind of get right or what was real, the big obstacle with this one yes, that it was the hardest I absolutely part. can. Um, the hardest part, there were several things. First, it jumps from first person point of view, um, which are, if you're unfamiliar, of course, it's just not you, but listeners is just, I, 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 I did this, I did this, whatever. Um, then it moves to third person point of view. So she did that. We did that. Um, you know, they did that. And then it actually has about, 25% of the book that is in second person point of view, um, which is rarely, rarely done. I, I can't even really find lists of books that have been written in second person. Um, if you guys are interested, go watch this show called you it's Y O U on Netflix right now. It's phenomenal. Um, and it has a lot of second person in it. or Dexter, um, you know, where Dexter's talking about other people in you and he's like, you said this, you do that. Um, so a lot of it, it when Molly goes missing, Cobain is talking, to Molly in second person and recalling their relationship and going through everything that happened up to her disappearance. But 
she's gone. So he's just kind of talking as if he's talking to her after she's gone and recalling things. Um, it also jumps from then, like in the past of their relationship up until she disappears and then now. So there's just three different points of view. Um, and then there's three different sort of points of view. Um, and then there's also time jumps. So it's just, it is a lot. It was a crazy book to write. And what was the idea that you initially had that kind of started you off on the story? So it was actually kidnapping. I just started thinking like when someone gets kidnapped, like are, did they, or when they disappear, like did they get kidnapped? Did something else happen? Did they just run away? Um, are they okay somewhere? Are they, are, who are they avoiding? Who are they trying to find? Like just, I just kept thinking about, these people that disappear and or are taken um, and what, what happens to them and the people that are left behind thinking that maybe something they were taken when maybe they weren't, or maybe they were. And it's just, I don't know. I was just thinking I was driving actually to um, a book signing, believe it or not. I guess you probably would believe that I am an author, um, but I was driving to like a book signing and I saw um, this, this, convenience store and I pulled over and there was this large like dumpster on one side and I parked right next to it and then a truck pulled up and parked like on my left side between me and the dumpster and I noticed like it was kind of late at night I was far away from the doors and you know, being a woman you're like oh god why did I just do them so dumb um but I um I just started thinking like what if it was like a younger girl and she's by herself and it's dark outside and like this happened and like, you know, what if she was taken or what if people thought she was taken and she wasn't taken? And like, that was like so far back beyond, you know, what ultimately ends up happening in this book. But that was just kind of the initial, I feel like we, we do that a lot as writers. We, we see a movie or read a book or we have a conversation or we just have like an idea, like not even an idea, but almost like a mini scene that pops into our head um, and then it starts this like dialogue in your head of like bigger things. Like I'm thinking about a girl get taken and then I start thinking about kidnappings and then I start thinking about what if someone wasn't kidnapped or what if they were, or what happens to the people left behind. And then it starts becoming this thing that's so much larger and bigger and more twisty than, um, what your initial thought was. So, but that's what started. It was literally just a, a gas station and me pulling up to it and thinking, gosh, what if something happened to me now? What if it was something else? And what if it was someone else that it happened to you? And like, or what if it didn't happen to them and they thought it did? And like, I don't know, it's crazy. And so this is your ninth book. So do you feel like you, after the ninth book, you sort of have a, a process or a discipline when it comes to your writing? Yeah. You know, I feel like I, I feel like my discipline has been honestly kind of the same. Um, since the beginning, I, I've, I write less words than I do in the beginning. I feel like there's kind of a frenzy when you're first writing your, you know, what you hope is going to be your debut book that gets published. Um, you know, you, I was writing, I think about 2000 words a day, um, about five days a week. So I would write 10,000 words a week and I could finish a first draft in about nine to 10 weeks with taking some breaks. Um, so that was really fast for me, but I, I've slowed down since then because now I feel like I I've at least learned, um, you know, it's quality over quantity. Um, I also feel like I've taken on tougher and tougher projects. Um, my paranormal romance, I mean, not that it was an easy write, 
but it was a straightforward storyline and it was a straightforward voice. It was a single voice. It was a single timeline. Um, and then you look at things like, you know, hear the wolves, um, where I wrote about, um, a girl who was, um, you know, deaf in one ear and she's like a sharpshooter and she's in the middle of Alaska and there's wolves hunting her herself and other people. I mean, there was so much research involved in that and having to go, um, actually up close and personal and in cages with like wild wolves and like seeing how they move and, um, really learning like, you know, how much, how, how could they really kill people and how would they kill them? And like, just all of these things that I, I didn't really, in the beginning, it was just get the words down, get the words down, get the words down. So I feel like I still have the same process where um, I use Scrivener for a while and I absolutely freaking love it for certain projects. But I feel like my favorite has still come down to just opening a Word document um, and just going. I usually loosely, loosely outline. So I'll kind of know who my characters are what their biggest challenge is, um, their internal goal, like, you know, if they want to be, or their, I usually start with their external goal. So I always give the example of an external goal could be, um, a kid who wants to be the fastest kid in their class at like a relay race at the end of the year. That would be like a good external goal. They would tell people about it. Their parents might know about it. their parents might know about it. their friends might know about it. Um, and then I give myself, I give my characters an internal goal, um, which, you know, in that person, that character's case could be, that they want their dad to show up at the relay race and be proud of them and spend more time with them because the dad's been really busy at work and like, but maybe the dad used to be a track star. So they're trying to use this to get like back and, but they may not even understand that that's like an internal goal. And they certainly are probably not telling people about it. So I usually get those two things down. Um, and then I'll start thinking what stands in the way of those goals. Um, and then I'll very loosely start outlining. And the way I do that is I just write in one sentence, what's going to happen in each part, like what's going to be the most exciting thing, and then a twist or something that raises the stakes at the end of each section. Um, because if, if, you know, three to four times through your book, you're making sure that you're raising the stakes, making it harder and harder and harder on that character, um, or at least providing some sort of twist, then you know that you're, you're bringing people along. And that's, I feel like it's such an important thing to do because every single writer in every single book is going to have a part that drags. It, I mean, you just, it's almost unavoidable. I mean, you get lucky sometimes and you get some Harry Potters of the world, but even in certain Harry Potter books, there's going to be, you know, the places where you're like, Oh, this 75 pages has not been my favorite. You know, it's kind of being slow. Um, but I feel like if you give yourself like a twist at the end of the section, then you, it's almost like you're redeeming yourself. You're giving yourself, you're giving your readers another opportunity to say, okay, you know what? Like I didn't really, that part was kind of slow, but that was such an interesting twist or the stakes have been raised so high that now I'm kind of bought in again. And now I, I want to keep reading. And then you can kind of give it, give yourself a chance to get them back in. So, but yeah, that's kind of my process. And I don't know that it's changed that much. So unless I don't know that it's changed outside of, I feel like I, don't write as many words on the days that I write because I'm probably doing more um, challenging topics at this point. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And so when it came to then we told six lies, uh, was there more outlining than you would normally do just because of the twists and the turns and, you know, comparing it to uh, like a gone girl or something like that, where you had to make sure uh, you understood what was upcoming uh, mm -hmm. with the situation? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Yes and no. I feel like I spent a lot more time outlining it. And then I felt like 
my editor and I were going in so many times and changing things that I, I soon realized that it was almost pointless that I was, you know, doing this outline. I, I do what's called loose outlining, which is just, you know, like I said, I'll do what's going to majorly happen in this section. And then I'll just do little, like almost like little bullet points with like an idea. Like if I know that two characters are going to share their first kiss, I'll put like first kiss or I'll put like, um, you know, like dad gets killed here, you know, just something uh, stuff where I know this needs to go in that section. But even that was starting to be too difficult of a thing. Like if I had a character and we told six lies, you know, going to someone's house to dig through their things, I, I would be like, yes, this definitely has to happen here. And then as we started going back through the book, the manuscript, we were like, oh my gosh, no, this actually needs to happen in the first part. And so it's funny, but you would think that you would have to outline this book so much more, but it's, I, I almost feel like with this book, I had to go with the flow so much more to make like almost like the clues in the storyline work. And what's funny is now that I'm actually thinking back on my easier books, I actually outlined those a lot more. And I'm almost thinking, I wonder if we outline books that are a little more straightforward storylines more to make sure that you're keeping them entertaining. Mm. Whereas if you have something like a mystery or, um, you know, like there's killer zombies outside, like, in you know, um, this is on a test. I, I maybe, maybe it allows you a little more flexibility to write what needs to happen in that particular scene because you can write under the, um, under the assumption that you have the reader's attention because it's such a tense situation versus maybe like a, like a, you know, contemporary romance. I would think if I had to write one of those, I would have to plot this thing to the ends of the earth to make sure. Um, and I, you know, I've written some romance before as paranormal romance, but it's the romance. Um, and I did, I heavily plotted the collector to make sure that there was enough going on in each section that I wasn't going to lose my readers. So I don't know. That's good. That's interesting. Hmm. So a few questions uh, as we wind down here. The first one, yeah. is, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to go with Bird Box. And I'm not saying that just because I just read it. When I read Bird Box for the first time, again, by Josh Mallerman, you guys have to go read this book. It's incredible. Um don't watch the show first. Go read the book, then watch the show. Um, I read it. I was actually at TLA, Texas Library and Association, something like that. It's like a big event in Texas. And I was there signing um, books, I think, of Fire and Flood. Um, and I was walking around with one of my writer friends. And they, I mean, just shoved this book in my hands. There's all these booths at these, like, writing conferences um, for, like, teachers and librarians and, you know, booksellers. And their whole goal is just to get galleys, like these early release books out into people's hands so that people start buzzing about it before the book comes out. And so they shove Bird Box into my hands. And I, I read the, you know, the blurb and I, I just didn't think it was for me. I, it just sounded like a horror, which it basically is. And I was like, I don't think this is for me. So I actually ended up giving it to my mom who lives like hours and hours away from me. And she went crazy over it. And then she um, gave it to my sister. My sister read it who doesn't really even read that much. And she went crazy over it. And I was like, okay, well, give me the stand book back. Like I know I want it. And they gave it back to me and it was like life changing. And then I watched the movie and it was um, just out of control. So it's on Netflix. You guys should go watch it. Great. 
And then next question, is there a book or a series of books you're willing to admit you've either never read or never finished? Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of them. I feel like it's so funny. I feel like the more that you write, the pickier you become on what you read. It's totally true. I feel like you should ask that question to every author on here because they'll, they'll, I think they'll, if they're being honest, they'll admit it. Um, let's see. Two of the biggest, I'm going to get just persecuted for this. Um, Cassandra, I think it's Cassandra Clark or Claire, something like that. Her series, I loved her first book in the Mortal Instruments, I think. And then I read The Clockwork princess or something like that i read the first book or two in both and i stopped and i i it's so funny i can't put my finger on why i just it's just one of those where you know what i think i actually can't put my finger on why with both i'm not like a, I, I love like short quick reads like about 300 to 350 pages is like my sweet spot if it gets any longer than that it it almost doesn't matter what the what is going on in the book i'm just kind of like i'm so ready to like I love opening up a new book. And so if it goes too much longer. And then also um, Sarah J. Moss. I read hers too. Phenomenal writing. Crazy storytelling. It's like at the top of her game. And I read the first of both series and I never picked up the other ones. I think I got daunted. Like one of her books later in the, I think it's something of Thrones. Think of the Thorns. Something of Thorns. I don't remember. But um, later in the series, she has a book, and it's literally like, I want to say it's like 850 pages or like 1,000 or so. It's so big that I was like, oh, my God, I know myself, and I'm never going to read through that whole book, so I'm just going to stop here. But, yeah, I'm going to get killed for that. I'm going to get so many emails. And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? You know what? I actually want to say my last great read is actually the one – I'm going to go ahead and say it's the one I'm reading now – um, even though I'm only I'm about 75 pages away from finishing it, it's so oh my god, it's so good I can't even handle it. It's called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green. Um, I don't even think I can tell you anything about it. I, well, no, I can just tell you it's basically like it's a totally weird, crazy spin on aliens, kind of. Um, but also it's a story about a girl who gets really famous making a video and then it starts going to her head and like, it's just, it is a mind trip of a book. Like it's just really, really, really good. It's a fast read. It's so original. Um, there's a lot of like, I can't remember what the writing term is, but it's like breaking the, like the third barrier or whatever that, that, that term is. It's like where you're speaking directly to the reader, which you never see. And every time I've tried to do that before, an editor has like been like, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that. You're, you're not ready in your career to do that. Um, but this Hank Green guy, he does it and he nails it. It's it, You should read it. If you're a writer and you're you know, listening to me, you should read that just to see how that is done because it's really impressive. That's great. Well, Victoria Scott, uh, We Told Six Lies is out now, and I wish you and the book all the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And that does it for this episode of What Book Hooked You. I want to thank Victoria Scott for joining me. And her book, We Told Six Lies, is out now from Entangled Teen. So I hope you'll check it out. And I hope you'll check out some of the other episodes of What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley. And until next time, keep reading.